dress for the job you want. Truly an expression I live by. You see, I am a tailor, and I am proud to say that I am a master of my craft. My passion for the art came from my mother's dreams who opened her own tailoring business. Sadly, she never graduated beyond patching up torn pants. But she would never allow herself to be dissuaded from trying to improve her skills. I cannot remember a time in my youth when she would take me anywhere to have my clothes altered, fixed, or given general improvements. This love for tailoring was infectious, and I adopted the art from her teaching me how to fix the holes in my own socks. Later, this evolved into showing me how to seamlessly add new hidden pockets to my own shirts to help hide my belongings from the school bullies. Naturally, being a prepubescent boy in a small town who had an interest in needlework brought down no lack of judgment from my fellow school children. But I was hooked. It had grown beyond a passion into nigh obsession. It would later also become a means to keep her close in my heart. How proud I like to think mother would have been when I got my first job working for a local seamstress. A proper spinstress who only loved her cats who she would gossip with. The skills I learned there would form the basis of my mastery in the art. And so, I went from being the strange boy who would rather make dresses for dolls than play sports, to a man who sought to elevate his skill beyond simple mastery. In the beginning, any creation of mine filled me with joy. Seeing a perfectly sized blazer, a dress with the colors fused perfectly to form and light. Those were the moments that I lived for. But, as is the case with true masters, I noticed my creations were, in fact, amateur. I longed for something more. Perfection is, however, a fickle mistress. She is always there in the corner of my eye, but the moment I grasp for her, she vanishes. I cannot count the number of times she was within arm's reach only to run off like a scorned lover. At first, I knew my lack of skill was to blame, so I decided to woo her by improving myself. I began to practice and work to the point that my hands would ache and my fingers were no longer able to grasp my instruments, to where I would cut or prick myself so many times that the fabric would be irreversibly tainted by my own inadequacy. Eventually, I had practiced and rehearsed my abilities to such an extent that they became more natural than breathing. Yet, when I reached out for my mistress once more, she was nowhere in sight. Thus, the fault could no longer be placed on my own abilities. I began to focus on my store, my simple little store with a sign made of cardboard hidden in an alley could not provide me with the materials I would need to coax her to my side. This pushed me to study new skills. With what meager savings I had, I applied to a college to study management and business, all while still continuing to work at my tiny store. My days would become filled with me creating the most flawless pieces I could with the flawed materials at my disposal. All while at nights I would learn in the finer details of running a business I could be proud of. Those few years were among the hardest in my life. Daily I would curse myself for my obsession to be more than I was. So many times I remember being a breath away from simply giving up, to be at ease with my own mediocrity. However, 
I had made enough money in my little back alley store and graduated to a proper freestanding store in a more refined neighborhood. My little cardboard sign became one of metal and light. My staff were no longer plagued with those who desired pocket change to go and feed their demons in bottles, but rather those who desired to pursue a similar desire to perfect their craft. My clients were no longer down on their luck, men and women who would pay in IOUs to patch a hole in their trousers. They were now gentlemen and ladies who desired to have their high-quality garments sculptured to their bodies. And as my fame grew, they would begin to beg me to create such pieces that not only matched their tastes, but would define their entire being. I have several regulars that have visited my store since it was founded nearly ten years ago, not to mention the impressive number of new clients who would have gone on a waiting list before even getting the opportunity to meet one of my protégés. But, for my long-time regulars only, I am allowed to come near them with tape and scissors. No matter how many I train, they all continue to fall just short of the mastery my most loyal of patrons deserve. Don't mistake this for narcissism. I am certain there are those who could surpass my level. How I long to meet them. To be able to further my own skills. You see, my employees still have a life beyond my store. I fully support this. Not everyone should obsess over their work as I have. Since the loss of my dear mother, I have devoted every moment of my life to becoming a master tailor. One could say it was a means to fill the hole in my own heart. I would skip school to go to workshops about stitching, surrounded by the elderly women of my small town. At the local cafe, I would purchase any magazines on the topic of fashion and new ways to work needle and thread. With money I had managed to save and the loan of a local bank, I went on to study fashion, and even after receiving my degree, I began to travel around the country to join any and all workshops or conventions to further my own abilities. I am no one's lover, no one's partner, no one's friend, family member, parent, guardian, confidant, nor pet owner. I am a tailor, and I would have it no other way. To reach perfection, one must sacrifice oneself to the art. This gift I offered my mistress, and I finally saw her face. She would finally show herself, but the interactions were so brief and far between that after some time I realized that I had still not made any true ground in my pursuit. Her glimpses were simple, wishful thinking. And so, I lamented. For years I would work tirelessly for those moments, but as time always does, those moments began to wither, and I would almost never see her anymore. In those moments of longing, my mind began to wander back to my childhood home. I had grown up in a small mining town filled to the brim with conservative families that would praise their lord on the Sunday and glare at their neighbor with envy on Monday. My father worked at the mine and lamented his rotten luck in life, luck which only worsened when the mine dried up and he was forced to become a butcher's assistant at the ripeful age of thirty-eight. In that time, he realized that he had a knack for the butchering trade, so much so that he attempted to turn the basement into a home butchery in a moment of entrepreneurship. This, unsurprisingly, failed. 
The butcher did not appreciate the stolen meats my father would try to sell off as his own. Rather than having a good but confused man with a family arrested, he decided to fire him without revealing what he had done to the rest of the town. In the end of my father's only true sanctuary from his disappointment was drink and reminding his family how he was deserving of better. Those reminders were usually accompanied by a few slaps and kicks to correct our behavior. Damn it, boy. If I didn't have such a sissy for a son, maybe I could be treated with some respect around here. Can't we just try that, huh? Just a perfect little family. At times, I would make the mistake of trying to escape these corrective measures, father's nudges for perfection. Those moments actually resulted in ample opportunities to practice my stitching work. Mother was hardly spared of these moments, although father's displeasure was usually aimed at myself. You are perfect to me, my boy. Her words would always be my beacon of hope after one of my father's stormy moods. How I missed those words when she went away. Everyone said she saw sense and left the man. Some more callous people called her a whore, having run off with some band member that came through town with a show group. Others would lament on how God was to punish her for forsaking her sacred duty as housewife, mother, and punching bag. I, for one, wouldn't have blamed her for leaving. No child would want to suffer as I have, but even fewer children would want to witness someone they loved to be beaten for trying to protect them. It was so ironic. He insisted on having the perfect family was in some way his right, yet he was so far removed from his standard of perfection that it was laughable. Years later, after returning to my childhood home in search of some new meaning to my own lackluster work, I discovered that perhaps my father and I were the same kind of hypocrite. This brings to mind Diana, a long-time regular that I would always go out of my way to serve. She was truly deserving of my full attention. A lawyer by trade, she had such ambition. The world would bend to Diana's will. She had the pick of the lots when it came to the clients of her firm. She lived an idyllic life. She had the body, the brains, and the will to wield both. That was until it turned out that her darling husband of seven years was suffering from the age-old tale of the wandering hands and the secretary that got in their way. Now he would think she took him to the cleaners, and she did, but something in my dear Diana broke. The woman who was driven to reach beyond the stars simply lost her spark, so much so that she was voted out of her practice, lost the respect of her peers for simply not participating in daily life, and turned herself into a recluse. But, as I have said before, dress for the job you want. And Diana seems to believe that mantra as well. Her coming to me became more akin to a form of therapy rather than a desire to purchase new outfits. I gladly accommodate this idea of hers. But as time passed, I became disappointed. She was no longer a proper model for my mistress. Make no mistake, I accommodate all bodies at my store. A true master of my art is able to clothe any shape but she could not truly reflect that which I made for her any longer. Yet she insisted on still being dressed as though her life was perfect. At first it was mere disappointment, 
but the more I was forced to be near the epitaph of Diana, the more disgusted I felt for her. In the end, I had to let her go. Her presence tainted the altar to my mistress. The prolonged proximity to imperfection had flared up my longing to return home once more. For, you see, I have a bit of a ritual when I truly begin to lose hope to ever reach my beloved mistress. I would make an offering at my mother's final resting place. After the death of my father, I had her officially declared dead. No one argued, as it was rather unlikely that she was still alive, that she would return after all these years. This would have been done sooner, were my father not putting up so much resistance. He never was any good at facing reality. I would start at my pilgrimage by retrieving two things. The first being a cheap suit from any lower-end clothing store. For, you see, it would remind me of the times my mother patched my father's cheap suits. And the second would be my custom tailor dummy. Each one I took on these trips was unique. Their size and shape could not be altered after I adjusted them and they would remain with my mother's final memory. I used to simply buy myself the classic store dummies to practice my measuring skills and resizing. However, their stock design meant that if you perfected one, you perfected them all. It truly was a stroke of genius and luck that I was able to find the uniquely shaped dummies that would become a staple in my future works. The trip home took its customary six hours. Upon my arrival, I was greeted with the bland walls that marked my childhood. A bleak and somber exterior which complicated the violence and impressive history of the interior. Yet, I would not trade those trips for anything in the world. Honestly, this is the only time I can cut loose and let myself revert back to my kid self. You see, when I am there, the creativity of youth reinvigorates me. Well, it does after I rest up from the trip. My travel time would usually put me outside the old house at around midnight. I would take great care not to break the spell of sleep over the neighborhood, entering via the storm door. I placed all of my tools and essentials in my office. When morning came around, I decided to take a walk around town and see what had changed. Each time I visit, I see more and more businesses and homes being abandoned. Now, make no mistake, I never had a love for the town, but seeing anything from your childhood decline causes this feeling of nostalgia to cry out with sadness. I would walk past the old seamstress store my mother frequented and feel the shadow of old tears well up in her memory. The school I had gone to was partially collapsed, long since abandoned as a home for learning. Naturally, the only place that subordinately continues to survive is the pub. I would always prefer to stay away, but as it also doubles as the only grocer in town, I would always be forced to endure the stench of cheap aftershave and even cheaper beer, filled to the brim with rowdy, drunken fossils of the town's past. After setting a new personal best for time spent trying to locate where the store owner decided to hide the food this year, I immediately returned to my family home. It was almost time, after all. I got settled into the kitchen, all the old utensils nestled in their usual spots. With great care, I cleaned them before use. These were the keepsakes that most resonated with my dear mother, after all. When she wasn't patching clothes or ducking fists, she was here in the kitchen. No, no, no. 
you gotta remember to bring on down the next number. Like most third graders, long division was not my strong suit. I, I don't understand, Mama. Frustration was building behind my eyes and threatened to burst forth at any moment. I continued to stare at the page when a warm hand gently caressed my cheek. As I looked up, I was greeted by the angelic features of my mother. Now, just because it's hard doesn't mean you give up on it, understand? All it means is that you need to sit a little longer and think a little harder. I know that in the end, you'll know it all the better than any of the rest. I welcomed my mother's embrace, as I think she appreciated it even more than I did. We were both shocked back to reality when we heard liquid collide with the warm plate of the stove. I cannot even recall what my mother was making to this day. The simple dread that it was burning was all that stuck with me. It wasn't long before the inevitable. He also heard it. God damn it, woman. The slurred speech of the booming voice alerted us that this would not be a gentle scalding. My mother hastily grabbed my arm and hit me in the pantry. I only remember bits and pieces of the conversation that ensued. My mother's small voice was constantly overpowered by condescending laughs and the occasional sharp crack of what I assume were slaps. The other end of the conversation was slurred speech, either filled with insults or self-pity. What I do remember, clearly, was the end of the conversation. I reckon it's past time we went down to my office for some fixin', don't you? My blood ran cold. The basement was divided into two sections. The main area was your typical fare, washing and storage. The other half was converted into father's butchery. Even though his ridiculous butchery idea never panned out, my father did remain fond of what he ended up calling his office. A single door disguised as a bit of wall was the only way to enter the room. Father's own idea of a moonshiner's den. The interior of the room had blacked-out windows with bars to ensure no break-ins. Multiple additional electrical sockets, a separate breaker box from the rest of the house, and he even had soundproofing so the meat saw wouldn't result in noise complaints. In addition, he made sure to procure all the standard butcher's equipment that would be needed, such as an array of knives and cleavers, meat hooks with a rack, and even a walk-in freezer. Naturally, all this was not paid out of his pocket. Rather, it was so graciously paid for by my mother from money she had received as inheritance after the death of her parents. For years, I feared that room. How ironic that years later I would grow to understand the appeal of it. It was truly a world unto itself. No exterior influences could hinder or distance any participants within. Lying in the center of the room, I could see my model still covered in its tarp. An all-too-familiar sight. I must have stayed in that pantry for a good hour or two, but to me it was a lifetime. Their continued absence began to scare me even more than whatever punishment would befall me. I slowly exited my hiding spot to go and find them. That night was the first time in my life that I dared approach the basement out of my own free will. Mom? I called for her so softly that I wasn't even completely convinced that I had vocalized it. 
The thought of calling my father crossed my mind, but the fear of ending up needing to be fixed kept my breath in my throat. Slowly, I descended into the dark and musty bowels of my family home. Upon reaching the bottom of the stairs, the only light that was available to guide me was a tiny sliver escaping from that room. He never left the door open. He hated the idea of us bothering the neighbors when he was busy. Every fiber of my child's self screamed for me to run back up the stairs, but the light continued to attract my morbid curiosity. I was like a moth to a lamp, incapable of resisting the natural draw. As the door came closer, I began to hear a faint sound fill the void around me. Soft sobs. Now this was a sound that was all too familiar to Father's office. However, what was not familiar was the pitch of the sobs. I was expecting my mother's gentle and raspy voice with her alto tone to be filling the air. What I heard was a deeper tone. My hand reached out to the door without permission, and I freed the light further from its confines. The room I saw beyond would forever be burned into my dreams. For the most part, I had left the office unchanged. The hooks from the ceiling remained in the same spots, and I ensured that the freezer was powered all year around. I did, however, remove the meat saw and older motorized cutting tools to make way for tools more useful to my own trade, such as my customized sewing machines, a table for measurements, and all my scissors along with an array of differently sized pins. With a slight amount of difficulty, I managed to attach my model to the hook in the middle of the room and give all my tools a final inspection. The pilgrimage was my ultimate test of skill, and I could not allow for any mistakes. I only had one chance to get it absolutely perfect. You see, my mistress was not interested in works that could be improved upon later. Perfection can only live in a vacuum, not to mention it could only survive for a brief moment. However, the difficulty and pain of reaching that one moment is truly worthwhile. After that night in the room, my father became distant. Even his corrective behavior ceased. For the most part, I had to raise myself. He, at least, had the decency to bring in some measly income, which allowed us to afford the bare minimum. My freedom came at the age of sixteen, when I left and didn't look back. That was until I fell into my depressing spell of not being able to reach the perfection that continued to elude me for all those years. In that time, all I could think about was that room, as though my own soul had been barred from perfection as a result of what I was subjected to. I had to face the room. I had to face it. And so, I made my first ever pilgrimage home not knowing that it would become my sanctuary from the monotony of mediocrity. No warning or request to visit was sent to my father. He was farther on in his life at that point, and I was more surprised that the stubborn old man didn't already kick the bucket. Upon arriving at the house, I was surprised to see him outside in the yard. He was simply standing there, almost like he was expecting me. I knew you'd come back here, son. I've been waiting. 
Those words filled the air as I opened the door of the car. I was surprised, not at what he said. Rather, I was surprised at the deep, booming voice that once made me flinch, now sounded so frail and tired. He slowly approached me. I could see he had lost weight and seemed to now have a limp. I stepped aside when he attempted to embrace me. Huh. He slowly returned his arms to his sides. Guess we'll need to work on that. He nodded thoughtfully to himself with what appeared to be a smile. My trance of indifference shifted. I wanted to confront him. Wanted to bear down the frustration I felt and accuse him of being the reason for my inability to be satisfied with my life. But I refused to give him the satisfaction of knowing he had any power over my thoughts. I silently followed him into the house. My father hobbled over to the kitchen and started up the kettle. With you here, we can start being a family again. I couldn't muster a reply. Not because I had nothing to say, but rather I couldn't understand how delusional he was. A family. After what happens to my mother. My mind was snapped back from the images it mustered when a cup was held out towards me. Were you listening, boy? His attempt to intimidate me with such a weakened tone finally broke my silence. I slapped the cup away, sending it shattering to the floor. You must be completely senile. The blow seemed to throw him off balance. His face, however, showed no sign of shock or anger. He seemed confused. Do you want to have a family, boy? It's all I ever wanted. Why can't you see that's all that should matter to you? He had the nerve to preach family to me. The man that kept us in fear and who finally destroyed our lives. You're insane. After what you did to my mother down there. I pointed towards the door, which plagued my nightmares. Why would you think I want to be a family? The snicker I received as a reply caught me off guard. He slowly hobbled over to me with a toothy grin. Because in all these years, you never told anyone what I did. I froze. He was right. As much as that night plagued me, witnessing the horror inflicted upon my mother, I never actually told anyone what happened. He opened the door to the basement and slowly descended the stairs, leaving the door open as an invitation. After a minute or two of contemplation, I accepted. Down the stairs, through the storage and laundry areas, towards the light that was a symbol of suffering, I re-entered my childhood self, watching my mother suspended from meat hooks as my father corrected her. I could still see the brown-stained spots on the floor, the last markers that my mother had ever lived. My stomach turned, and I had to fight back the desire to vomit and run from the room. So, you do remember. The voice enveloped the room so, even in his frail state, the old monster reclaimed his realm. I already figured you repressed what you saw. Hell, I even avoided bringing you down here because I didn't want to break your silence. I looked over to the corner of the room where my father stood, 
holding onto the handle of the walk-in freezer for support. His grin took on a sense of manic glee. Here I thought we had nothing in common. But I knew. Something in me knew you didn't tell me, because you wanted what I did. He gave another snicker as he began to open the freezer. I ran over to him. Before even allowing another word from him, I bashed his head into the freezer. Once. Twice. I lost myself to it. After finally releasing the limp old body from my grasp, I felt my entire being go numb. I stood there for... I don't even remember how long. My hands are stained with the sin of patricide. A part of me thought that seeing my tormentor die would finally fill me with some form of peace, perhaps even removed my dogged pursuit for perfection. Neither of those realities came to pass. Not knowing what else to do, I entered the freezer to see my mother. There she was, preserved in her mock pose as a perfect wife. Blue, wrinkled, and dried skin, barely able to hang onto her frame of bone and iron. Father had sewed her lips into a mock smile all those years ago. This had given way to simply being the toothy grin of death itself. Her once hand had been completely destroyed over the years, only to show a spatula attached to an iron pipe. But her dress remained beautiful to me. The faded yellow still filled my heart with a small sense of childlike glee. That was when the thought crossed my mind. I feverishly ran from the freezer, past my deceased father, and up the stairs. I came back down with one of my father's old suits. He was far too small to fill it out as he was. Thus, I went through the house, collecting all manner of pillows that I could. With the aid of my mother's old sewing kit and a few of my father's butchering tools, I set to work. A sense of euphoria came over me as the use of both sets of tools felt as though we were finally a unified family. I would cut and stuff, sew and correct. Where the shirt hung too loose, I would attach it directly to the skin. Where an arm was too short, I would remove it and stuff wood, iron rods, anything in the room I could get my hands on. It took several hours, but I did it. He was a hideous amalgamation of what I once saw as my father. His limp and then stiffening body made the process difficult, but he finally looked like the father I had dreamed about, a smiling face embracing his beautiful wife. After all those years of searching, I finally felt my mistress smile upon me. Humans are flawed. We can never please the altar of perfection. But, for the briefest of moments, we could be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And those moments are where my mistress lived. I had made many improvements to my approach over the years and one of the major contributing factors to my father's final state being so hideous was that I had killed him. I had to do far more cutting than would have been necessary were he able to cooperate a little more. But I must, unfortunately, leave my tale here. For, you see, sweet Diana is beginning to mumble from under her tarp. 
I promised her that I would make her the version she once was. It just required a bit of sacrifice on her part, but I was up for the challenge. The least I could do for such a loyal customer. Just a shame the pants are about three sizes too small. <laughs>